0: Good morning. I'd like us to think about today's passage as being like the legacy that Jesus left behind for his disciples. I mean, they're, they're deeply disturbed. He's just told them uh, that he's going to leave them and they're reeling from that. In fact, he's going to be on the cross by first thing the next uh, morning. But rather than thinking about that, his main ambition is to, is to comfort them. And he does that by talking about, about three things that he will leave behind, that he will bequeath to them, that will be a legacy that he, he gives to them. And, and and this is a legacy that uh, is enjoyed by the Christian as well. Real gifts, real possessions that Christ has left behind that help us to rejoice rather than having a troubled heart. And, and here they are. Um, number one. From verse 26, uh, the Helper, the Holy Spirit. Number two, he talks about my peace that I leave with you. And then thirdly, he talks about the knowledge of his love for his Father. So let's look at these one uh, by one. The Helper. As we learned last week, this is otherwise translated, this title, as the Counselor, um, the Comforter or the advocate, it's the idea of someone who is called alongside you uh, to help. Uh, notice back in verse 16 when he, when he introduces this idea, uh, he talks about the fact that another comforter will be sent. And that idea is another who is of the same kind, in the same way he says, as, as I have helped you, in so many ways I've been a helper to you then in exactly that same form, the Holy Spirit who will come will help you in a whole raft of different ways as well as he comes alongside you to support you. I thought actually when I, I was thinking of this word helper, of what was said uh, in the Garden of Eden to, uh, uh, about Adam, God said, you know, let, let, let us make a helper for him. Eve is about to be uh, created a helper that will be suitable and will be appropriate uh, for Adam. Somebody was going to come alongside of him uh, who would make up for his deficiencies, who would support and encourage and, and be with him and make up all that was lacking. And so here is a real legacy that is going to be left. The Spirit of God is going to come and he is going to be our helper. He is here. Now just note a couple of things that are said here in the verses about who he is and what he will do. Of course the point is made that he is part of the Godhead, the triune God. You'll notice there in verse 25, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. You have the three members of the Godhead there. You have his holiness mentioned, one of the essential attributes ...of God himself. And of course there's an implication and lesson in that. Uh, A bit of a test actually. Uh, The Holy Spirit will never lead us into doing something that is not holy. Many people talk about being told by the Holy Spirit to do certain things. And that is a test. He will never lead us to do anything that is not holy. But the main point I want to just uh, mention to you... ...is the fact that it says that he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, fundamentally, this is speaking to us about the inspiration of the scriptures, about the Bible, the fact that the Holy Spirit teaches us the word of God through the Bible being compiled. Now, you'll probably remember the words of Second Peter chapter uh, 1, when it says, and this is referring to the Old Testament scripture, that men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's how the Old Testament scriptures were written. All these different individuals, God's Spirit carried them along and inspired them to write the very words of God that didn't have their origin in their own heads. And now here are these men, these fearful men, these men who seem so unprepared and uneducated and yet they are going to experience the same thing along with the other authors of our new testament god's spirit would carry them along and they would remember in detail accounts regarding the life and the ministry and the teaching of christ that they would be then able to incorporate into their gospels And do that in such a marvellously structured and symmetrical way that would form for us our scripture, our Bible. In addition, this uh, quality of the helper uh, to to, to guide us to understand um, is also relevant to our perception of spiritual truth today. You get this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, if you'd like to read that later, where it says that there are spiritual things that the natural man, the person who's not a Christian, cannot discern, can't can't get his head around because they're spiritually discerned. And it's only someone who's been born of the spirit who can understand these things. And so this is our legacy. The, The helper within us indwells us to teach us, and to teach us specifically about the glory and greatness of Christ himself. You get that in chapter 16, where it says that he will take of the things of Christ and he will reveal them to us. We see and understand the glory of Christ because of the helper who has come alongside of us. The second thing that he mentions as a legacy is is peace, verse 27. And he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Of course, it's the, it's the common Hebrew word uh, and it's so familiar to us, uh, shalom, that is mentioned. And it's worth just reminding ourselves here that when, when they said peace, when they said shalom, when they greeted one another, it meant so much more than just the absence of trouble or the absence of discord. It carries with it the whole idea of, of, of comprehensive well-being, of, of contentment, of a, a satisfied mind, of, of blessing from God. That's all incorporated in the idea of, of peace in this sense. It's in the same way as when we talk about health. We just don't mean it's the absence of disease. So Jesus says to them, I'm going to leave this with you. But then he goes on to define it even further. And he defines it in two ways. First of all, he says, it's, it's my peace that I give to you. That's what I'm going to leave. When I go, this is my legacy. It's my peace. This unique kind of peace. And how much we all need this and how much our world needs this. We look around and we see war, we see discord, we see strife and disagreements, conflicts and fears and anxieties everywhere. We see very little in the way of peace in nations and communities and in our homes, and sometimes very little peace of mind as far as individuals are concerned as well. And against all of that, the message that comes to us today is that Christ leaves his peace. Now let me just expand on this a little bit further. There is what I might call objective peace and then secondly subjective peace. Objectively, what I mean by that is, if, if we were to have read in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, it says this. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now what that means there is this, that having been justified, having had the righteousness of Christ imputed to us because we have placed our faith in him, we now have peace with God. We, We used to be in a position of opposition, of hostility towards God but, but now that war is over and and we now are at peace with God. It's as though a peace treaty has been signed and the estrangement and the alienation, the position that once we were in as far as our relationship to God, that has now changed and we are now in a position, an objective position of being at peace with God. And that's a tremendous thing. Many people, of course, don't realise that their whole life has been lived in alienation to God and at war with God and, and the need that there is to, to be at peace and the death of Christ and this tremendous message of justification, of having all of Christ's right and goodness Imputed to us, put to our account, when we place our faith in Him, it places us in a position of peace with God. But secondly, there is a more subjective kind of understanding to this idea of the peace of God, and you get this one actually when you read uh, some verses in, in Philippians chapter four, where it talks about the peace that that passes. All understanding that will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. This this is a personal sense of peace from Christ that comes from trusting in him. And having an awareness of the goodness and the power and the love of Christ uh, towards us. What he actually says in that passage is if you remember he says don't be anxious about anything but by prayer and by supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds so it's talking about prayer we come to him in prayer and as we do that we believe in him we believe in that he cares for us, and we lay our concerns before him. And we do that with gratitude, understanding his goodness towards us. And it's as we believe in God's ability to listen to our prayers and to care for us, that the peace of God that passes understanding comes into subjectively Guard our hearts and mind. That word guard actually sometimes is translated garrison, you know, a garrison like a castle. Um, that the peace of God can garrison our hearts uh, and minds. Reminds me of a wonderful verse in Isaiah 26 and 3 which says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you so the message here really is that subjective peace comes when we trust in God and believe in his goodness and in his ability and when we think in that way the peace of God that perfect peace it comes to us it's a little bit like the incident regarding the storm in the lake during the life of Christ uh, the storms crashing all round about and it's almost as if the disciples are, are asking the question don't you care that we perish um, the tempest is raging here and yet Christ is able to stand up and he's able to calm that and he says you know these waves this wind it will be my will and he's able to say peace be still in the midst uh, of storm let's remember today ability to do that in the storms of our life Uh, let's remember that that we are of more worth than than many sparrows he cares for for the birds of the air and we're of greater value Um, he knows our needs he tells us to look at the flowers of the field and all their beauty Um, and he he clothes them and he knows what we have need of as well he knows about us. It matters to him about us. And as we think about his goodness and his ability and his care for the material, physical world, world, let us remember and believe and trust in his care for us. And what a legacy that is. My peace, my kind of peace. I'm going to leave that with you. But there is a second thing he says about this peace as he, as he defines it. Not only is it my peace, but he says, in a negative sense, it's not as the world gives, give I unto you. So what, what does the world give? What is the world's definition uh, of peace? Sometimes, like the prophets used to say, our world says peace when, when there is no peace at all. It's a little bit like Neville Chamberlain coming back from, the, from Munich in the late 1930s, waving his little bit of paper and announcing peace in our time, peace in our time. And what kind of peace would that have been when we might have entered into some sort of pact with the Nazis, become complicit with their crimes and become virtually a slave nation? What kind of peace would that have been? What kind of peace does our world offer at times? Let me tell you, it's a false peace. It won't deliver. It's hollow and it's built on sand which never lasts. But here from Christ is something that is real and solid. Perfect peace. Peace both with God and also the peace of God. No wonder he says to them, don't let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Finally, the third one. The third legacy is this. I love the Father, he says. I'm, I'm going to the Father. You see, his focus is ultimately not the cross. Doesn't Hebrews 12 tell us that who for the joy that was set before him, he, he endured the cross in John seventeen eleven, he's going to say, as he prays, Holy Father, I'm, I'm coming to you. You see, this was his great joy. This was his greatest ambition. It was to go to the Father because of his love for his Father and he wants to, to make sure the world knows about that. It's a message that he wants to leave behind. Now, This is extrapolated on in the verses here. And and what he says, first of all, from verse 28 is, I mean, if you loved me, you would rejoice in this, that I'm going to my father. Rather than seeing your own loss, you would see my gain. And then he says, the father is, is greater than I. Now, what does this mean? Does this mean there's some sort of pecking order? Not at all. If we had to go back to verse 9 of our passage, we would read, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. There is absolute equality as far as Christ's essence with his Father is concerned. What this is talking about is, is the office, the difference in office within the Godhead. It's the truth of headship that we have noted before and then he says this that the ruler of this world is coming and he has no claim on me this is of course a Satan that is being talked about he dominates the world and its attitudes and its practices but like Job tells us He is ultimately governed and restricted by God's overall sovereignty. He is coming, the Lord Jesus says. It's not just the fact that Judas is coming. is coming with the the priests. It's not just that the priests are coming or the Roman soldiers are coming to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's it's the, the prince of this world that is coming. The ruler of this world who is coming with all his temptation and his schemes and his wickedness. But, it says here, he has no claim on me. He will not find a foothold that he can work upon. He will not find any way way in, no weak area that he has some sort of hold upon, unlike what happened with Judas. What's been emphasised, of course, here is the purity of Christ and his devotion to his Father. It's shining through all of his experiences. It was his love for his Father that compelled him to endure the cross. Fundamentally, you see, the cross is probably more about his love and his obedience to his Father than it is about him dying to save me i mean that seems quite foreign to us but there is an aspect to the cross of christ that is fundamentally about his devotion and his love for his father and you see this in the final point of the verse of the chapter where it actually says rise let us go from here they're about to 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 leave the upper room and uh mark's gospel says that before they did that they sang a hymn. Now, part of the hymn that they most likely sang uh, formed Psalm 18, which was part of the traditional psalm sung at this time during the Passover. And, and here are some of the verses from Psalm 18, 118. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. You just imagine Christ singing this as he, as he begins to walk to Gethsemane. Another verse Bind the sacrifice with cords, even to the horns of the altar. You imagine Christ singing these words as he thinks about his death. And yet, this is his love and it's his commitment to his father, who he's now returning to. He wants the world to know about this as part of his legacy. Here is the only person who ever loved the Lord his God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, and with all of his mind. And he stands unique in that relationship and in that perfection, qualified to be the only saviour of the world. So in closing then, this is the message to these burdened and these troubled men, as well as the message to us today, with, with our troubles all around us. He says, these are my gifts to you this is my legacy. Don't let your heart be troubled because he gives his spirit, his helper to teach us. He gives and he leaves his peace to comfort us and he leaves the example and the memory of his love for his father that should give us joy. So let us enjoy Christ's legacy, our legacy from him as we think about these things today. Amen. Amen.